Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So I'm going to start today with a letter. I guess it's an email, technically. Already showing my age. But the email said, hey, Tony, first off, big fan here. I've recently dived headfirst into the Mind, the Mirror, and Me podcast. And I've been religiously tuning into your TikTok Q&As with Sydney. Watching you both navigate those sessions with such ease and humor is like watching a well-coordinated dance. Yes, I'm that big of a fan. I know you can't dance, but wish you could. That's kind of creepy, actually, because I know that that's absolutely true. I don't ever remember saying that on a podcast. But with less stepping on toes and more sharing of knowledge. Here's the thing. I admit, back when my kids were little whirlwinds of energy, I kind of sort of, okay, totally skipped over any and all of your parenting content. It was a mix of being in the survival mode trenches and thinking, hey, I've got this. How hard can it be? And I was truly coming to your podcast for your marriage content. And for that, honestly, I'm grateful. And then she literally spelled out hashtag four pillars for life. Fast forward to now. And as my kids morph into these complex, opinionated, wonderful, and yes, that's in quotation marks, many adults, I'm starting to realize I might have missed a couple of hundred memos. I know you say you can't give somebody else the epiphany or the aha moment, but I think technically as a therapist, you can because you gave me mine. Cue the light bulb moment. Cue the light bulb moment. I see the relationship you have with your daughters, Mackie and Sydney, and it's like watching a masterclass in parenting. That's the dream, right? But here I am feeling like I've just woken up in a class where everybody else has been taking notes and I can't even find my pen. Or maybe these days my laptop battery is old and I keep losing the power cable. So I've come to the humbling realization that I don't know what I don't know. And what I do know is that the kind of bond that you share with your adult kids didn't just magically happen. So as somebody who is playing catch up and hoping it's not too late to cram for the upcoming tests in this parenting gig, I have to ask, can you throw a few quick, simple tips or advice my way on how to build that kind of relationship with my kids? I mean, is there a secret sauce, a parenting magic wand? Or is it the equivalent of eating vegetables and cutting back on candy and exercise and meditate and all that kind of stuff? I'm all ears and I'm ready to learn. My kids are awesome and I want to make sure they know it, not just now, but as they continue to grow and navigate life. Thanks for all you do. And here's hoping I can somewhat gracefully catch up without tripping over my own feet. She signed it, late to the game parent. So I am really grateful for that email. And this is a topic that I could talk about all day. So we're going to condense that to hopefully half an hour or so, but we're going to touch on some really good stuff today. The nurtured heart approach for parenting with probably a large dose of acceptance. We'll throw in a couple of first and second darts around, but I promise you will leave today's episode knowing more about yourself, about your kids, and you'll definitely feel better about the future of your parenting with a, a healthy dose of acceptance for what has already gone down. So that and so much more coming up today on this episode of The Virtual Couch. Come on in, take a seat. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 415 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and a certified mindful habit coach. And head over to the show notes, the links, the link tree, if you're looking at social media pages, and sign up for my newsletter. The newsletter is going out weekly, 
and it's short and it's concise, but it has a lot of good content in there. But let's talk today about parenting. And I'm going to throw some heavy doses of acceptance, acceptance and commitment therapy in there to address this letter, this email that I started off today with, because I do think that I'm hearing more and more of this feeling of just feeling overwhelmed with, with people feeling overwhelmed as people come in and, and talk about parenting. And it does seem, because I've talked to people every day for a living, and sometimes you see things start to trend. You see certain diagnoses trend, words trend, things just fascinate me. Currently, as a matter of fact, if we talk about words, people saying the word right on the end of things. And I remember, I actually remember very specifically the office I was in. So I know that it was a few years ago where I was working with a couple and they were both, it, there was just something off about when they would communicate then I found myself wanting to just correct them instead of be there and be empathetic for them. And I'm joking about this, but I noticed at that point, I feel like this is my origin story of people adding the word right to the end of the things they were saying. They would both say things that were trying to get me to jump on their side to be somewhat against the other partner. And so they would say things like, well, you know, everybody knows that you don't follow through on the things you say, right? And I would think, wait, oh, no, let me address that first. Or then somebody else saying, well, I mean, yeah, I would, I would comment on something that they were saying that he was saying, but, and I know it sounds mean, but that, that's just something that's part of being married, right? And so then I felt, oh, I need to address that as well. And so I just, I remember just thinking something was off there. And now if I go through and edit a, a podcast or I, especially an interview where there's just so much right, right? And I think that one's really fascinating. But anyway, I digress. But I, I found that people are feeling a little more overwhelmed, a little more stressed with parenting. And I just absolutely love the nurtured heart parenting approach. And I know there's some other really good ones, love and logic. And there, I know there are others. And I think that it's so important to have a parenting model to work from to begin with. But I will say that I have these, I have lots of thoughts and opinions on why people are starting to beat themselves up more about their own parenting skills or start, starting to feel more overwhelmed. I do think a lot of it is it has to do with comparisons and we find ourselves uh, comparing what is going on in our homes with the idealistic view of parenting that is put out there on social media. And I'm not trying to pull the get off my lawn kids. I'm an old man card because uh, we'll talk about that today. That I, I really feel like you're doing the best that you can currently and the fact that if you're even listening to this podcast or wanting to know more, to maybe try a little bit, something new, be a little bit better, that's a really, that's a really positive thing. But I do find, and I jotted this down in my notes a few days ago, the lady said, do you know how to juggle? And I thought, oh, she's heard me say on one of the podcasts, when something goes south, then I feel like I need to juggle. To say, look at me, I, I, everything's okay. But she was saying, do you know how to juggle? And I said, I mean, I do. I, I didn't know if she was wanting me to. I've got, if you're watching on the YouTube channel, these little pink squishy virtual couch brains. I've got plenty of those around. So I was ready to pick three up and start uh, juggling. It's been a little while, but I, I think it's like riding a bike. But then she said, I said, sure. Yeah. And she said, have you ever juggled flaming torches? <laughs> I said that I have not done. And she said, or how about if you throw a blindfold on? And I said, no, I, I have not. And she said, that's what she feels like sometimes when she's parenting, that she feels like she's uh, on a high wire act. She's juggling flaming torches while she's blindfolded. And, and she just said, am I the only one? And so I felt confident and saying, no, you're absolutely not alone. I think that every parent has not even, I think every parent has moments or entire days or weeks, or maybe even months where they feel like they're not just cutting it. But then I, I really feel like uh, sh I shared with her. And I think I want to tell you, what if I said to you though, that the secret to navigating this uh, circus, parenting circus 
isn't about avoiding the flames with this analogy, but it is absolutely learning how to dance within them. Because I've been doing this for nearly two decades, and as the opening email talked about, it's wild now to think, in all honesty, my youngest kid is now 20. And so that makes me a very old person, but I love the relationship that I have with my kids. And I know that that's not something that happened overnight. And I don't say that from a place of wanting validation or to brag, but this goes back to the concept that I love sharing, which is called the healthy ego. And the healthy ego is something that's based off of real life experience or the hard work that you've done. And there are probably examples of where somebody says this and then they need to knock on wood and then I'll find out the all these nefarious things. My kids are plotting to boot me out of the family and they're just being nice to me. If that's the case, they've done an amazing job. So then I want to commend them on that. But I really want to share more and more as as I move forward in life, in this season of life with cast with each of with a couple of my kids and being able to go on dates with my adult kids and their spouses and their girlfriends. And it's just something that I never knew was really a thing that happened. And I want that from the people that uh, listen, that I care about. So I, I really do feel like I've seen my fair share of parenting paradigms. But there are two things that are in my wheelhouse that when it comes to parenting, and that is my beloved acceptance and commitment therapy. We're going to talk a little bit more about acceptance today and the nurtured heart approach. And uh, that is the parenting model that my own parenting course is based off of. And it's something that I learned when my kids were really little. And it's been the go-to, the fail-safe, the home base to operate from for both my wife and I. And I'll talk today in particular about what they call stand one of the nurtured heart approach. There are three stands, but stand one, I think, is the one that, that I'll really focus on today. And that is, it's, and it's interesting too, because I like reframing things in the positive. And their stand one is absolute, it's the absolutely no stance. But before you, you think that we're venturing into the realm of stern, unyielding parenting, let me clarify, nurtured heart approach is all about reframing our perspective on what we typically label as child misbehavior. So what it sees is a child's intensity isn't the problem, then you're not trying to squash that intensity, but it, it is a potential fuel for greatness. And the saying goes that imagine your little kid is a rocket. Their intensity, that is the fuel. But without guidance, that rocket is going to zoom all over the place and not really in a good way. But if you harness that energy correctly and you've got a vessel bound for the stars, then stand one is about refusing to give negative behavior the spotlight. So instead, we save our energy for celebrating success no matter how small. That's the key. So it's not about ignoring the challenges that happen in parenting but it's choosing where you put your attention, where you focus your attention. So that stand one is I will refuse to energize negative behavior because they're just trying to push buttons. And that really is the concept of where kids get their sense of self from external validation. So if I am reacting and reacting and reacting, then they know that they exist if we really break it down because they're getting a, a reaction. And when you hear somebody say that the kid is going to, they want validation, whether it's negative or positive, I know that that can sound absolutely insane, but this is the, the clearest way to express that, is that if I am continually acknowledging their negative behavior, then as a little kid, they really only know that they exist or that they matter to you in particular if they are getting in trouble. Now, if you are not reacting to the negative behavior and you're building this inner wealth by pointing out the positive then what they want and crave is that that interaction, that response, that validation. And they get that when they do the positive. And kids are going to do 
things. They're going to do negative things. They're going to break things. They're going to spill things. We did that. If for some reason you got through life without ever breaking things, spilling things, or disappointing anybody, then I can understand why this might be really frustrating. But if you're frustrated because your kid does something that's human, that really is a you issue. It's about you feeling, okay, they should know better. Well, why? Uh, is that uh, thinking that, well, they need to know every single thing that I've ever said, and they need to pay attention to every single thing and retain all the things that I've said, which if you really step back and think about it, how many things have you heard that you uh, don't remember every detail of? For me, it's pretty much everything until I go through it several times and have to have a lived experience. So now let's step on over into acceptance and commitment therapy, because I want to focus specifically on the power of acceptance. Because ACT teaches that the power of acceptance is not a resignation, but it really is embracing the present moment with all of its messiness and all of its beauty. So it's about saying, all right, chaos, there you are. I see you. Keep the theme today, stance, instead of trying to push it away or control it. So in the parenting world, this means acknowledging those overwhelming feelings without judgment. If you feel like you're failing, acknowledge it. I, I noticed that. That's a feeling. That's a thought. I have lots of them, lots of thoughts, lots of feelings. I heard the other day that we may have 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day. So why on earth am I going to give that, those thoughts more energy or more power? If you're anxious about your parenting skills, then give that anxiety a nod. I see you anxiety. Yeah. Tell me the message that you're trying to convey because it's not about giving up, but it's about reducing the struggle through acceptance, making room for action that then it aligns with your values. And in acceptance and commitment therapy, this is the concept that Dr. Hayes says, this is Stephen Hayes from the creator of the Nurtured Heart Approach, that he says acceptance, when we talk about it, we're not talking about just putting up with things or grudgingly tolerating them. Remember, acceptance means fully embracing your experience in the present moment without resistance. We often use the term willingness, but the, he says the term willing is often used interchangeably with acceptance to emphasize the act of freely choosing to engage with our experiences. So being willing or accepting isn't about trying to control how we feel or how we think, but instead it's about adopting a compassionate stance toward ourselves or our past and the programming that makes us who we are. So it's like imagining that you're, you're holding this delicate object in your hands and acceptance means observing it closely without judgment, just being aware of it as it is. It is a thing. That is a thought. That is a feeling. So imagine you're feeling anxious. And then if you are saying to yourself, oh man, I, I can't stand this. I don't want to feel anxious. What ACT says is that fighting that anxiety actually makes you more anxious. It's kind of like uh, quicksand. The more that you struggle in it, the deeper you sink. So acceptance in this scenario, in, in all scenarios to me, means instead of fighting the feeling, you give it a nod. And you do. You say, okay, anxiety, I, I see you. What's going on? And you let it be there without trying to push it away. Because then you can still in, interact with the world. But then, yeah, I see you, anxiety. And I can even pay more attention to when it shows up because it's not going to be there all the time. So you're not resigning yourself to feeling anxious forever. You're just allowing yourself to feel what you're feeling right now. That's the willingness or acceptance. And that's what that's all about in acceptance and commitment therapy. You really can take a look at it like you are choosing to feel your feelings and think your thoughts. Just let them be without trying to change them or judge them. You're curious, but you're not freaking out. It's a thing. There it is. So when Dr. Hayes talks about being willing or accepting, it's like saying, hey, can I let myself just be flaws and all without trying to put on a brave face or to change anything. Because if you can do that consistently, you learn to understand yourself better because you start to recognize, first of all, I have, I can enjoy something and be anxious about it and think it's funny and be frustrated about it all at the same time. It's a whole the, a relationship, a whole object relationship. And because we tend to just go to the black or white, all or nothing thinking. 
if I don't like something about it, then I don't want to do it at all. And I'm not going to do it unless I, everything's going to be fun. And you can guarantee that it will be wonderful and great all the time. But it's, it's giving yourself a break from constantly trying to control everything. And that can be really difficult because we have a need or a hope to try to control situations around us, try to control other people, try to control the way that we show up in certain scenarios. So I, speaking of scenarios, so I jotted down a couple of scenarios and we'll, we'll just look at it all. We'll put the acceptance and the nurtured heart together. So imagine these two scenarios. And the first, you find yourself at the end of your rope because your kid has just painted a new mural on the living room wall. And throw in there with permanent markers, no less. When I was a young kid, I painted a garage wall orange, I remember. Just a little bit at a time, over in a corner, slowly but surely. But I did. Now, the nurtured heart approach way, instead of zeroing in on the negative, the unwanted mural, the unwanted marker on the wall, but which of course, it, no, it's probably not happy about that. But you, you really, you acknowledge the creativity because that is the intensity behind it and guide it towards more appropriate canvases because it happened. And if you are now angry and frustrated and they need to understand and know, then they're absolutely going to know that it's hard for them to, to pull, pick apart that, okay, creativity, good wall bad. All they feel like then is, oh, I am bad. What I did was wrong and bad and I'm in trouble. So it might sound like, okay, if I don't tell them that what they did was bad, then from this day forward, all they will ever color on is the wall. And that is, that's my anxiety. That's my fear, my worry. So the acceptance in essence needs to be, I have to accept the fact that there will be some walls painted on if my kid is going to express creativity. And if you are yeah budding this as you listen to it right now, I get it. And there's no part of me that wants to say, well, yeah, well, good luck. But uh, it, we just, we are craving certainty. We want to know. I need to just know that you will never do that again. But what the kid hears is like, oh, I definitely will never do that again. The whole creativity part. And I'm not trying to go all or nothing on that, but I think you can maybe see where I'm going. Because ACT nudges you to accept your frustration. You're frustrated and you're anxious but you're able to approach the whole situation with a clear head rather than reacting in the heat of the moment. And it turns out that part of the world of emotional maturity is being able to be anxious and frustrated as well as have a good laugh and recognize oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good freehand there, champ. This is, uh, I think, so often at some point, one of your kids has probably cut their own hair. And I still remember, or boy, I'm sure hoping that I haven't just confabulated or created this narrative on my own. But our daughter, Mackie, I'll have to ask her this on the next podcast I do with her, cutting her own hair. And I remember that we were almost wet, ready for that. Which kid's going to do that? And then just saying, oh my gosh, Mac, that looks amazing. You know, that's great. Now your fear is that she'll just start cutting her hair all the time. But she, it was almost as if she felt like she had done something wrong. Well, guess what? Now she's, this is so funny. I literally was not saying this story because this. she is a very successful cosmetologist. Mackie, well done cutting your hair when you were a kid. Okay, let me present another scenario. Your kid refuses to do their homework. Again, your knee-jerk reaction might be frustration or anger. But when you look at the nurtured heart approach, you choose not to energize the refusal with the negative response. Instead, you really do look for any moment of success to highlight. And sometimes it's difficult. Maybe they sat down with their books, which is more than they've probably ever done. In that scenario, you're literally saying, man, I love the way that you got your books out today. That shows me that you are a really good, uh, you're a really good student. Or it shows me that you are getting prepared to learn. Because they haven't done their homework. So you come in and they're ready. They're bracing for the onslaught. Of, and they're going to tell you they don't like the homework anyway. And so when you meet them with a, hey, the, man, look at all those books out there. That's, uh, that's impressive. Or even approach it with curiosity. 
man, you guys, you guys have a lot of books, don't you? But what are all those about? And, and this is the part that I think is so magical over the years is to when you approach your kids with curiosity and they're anticipating a reaction, it just becomes this really interesting and I think powerful moment where they're braced for the negativity and you meet them with curiosity. And then now, if you're thinking, I'll say, and then you know what? They do their homework all the time, every time, and it's always perfect. No, I forget if they really end up doing it much or not, but they start to develop a relationship of safety with you. So that they do start to take ownership of things like homework and you are able to then provide support, but it isn't based out of fear. If you are trying to, to use fear to control, you you can get results, but then you may also do that at the cost of your relationship with your adult kids. And that's more of a you thing. That's about your own anxiety, your own discomfort. So we've just acknowledged, back to this example, that the, your kid has sat down with the books, again, which you haven't seen them do before. Through the ACT lens, you're accepting your feelings of inadequacy or fear for your child's future. And I love that. From a differentiated standpoint, you're acknowledging this is a me thing. I now worry that if they don't start doing their homework, they will be a failure and they will be living in my basement forever. And I will say this every chance I get that I think we need to accept the fact, create that secure attachment that, oh, hey, bud, you're welcome to stay in the basement forever. Because if we've been doing the work to get to that point, then that's saying, you know, you have a secure place to land. Now go and do, go figure it out, go explore and come back and let's, let's talk about it. Not what did you do? Why haven't you done it? You better do. You need to leave. You got to get out because that, that will get a kid out of your house. But at what cost? Is it just to alleviate your own discomfort or your own feelings as a parent that you must have them uh, do a certain thing by a certain amount of time? Or is your goal to say, I am here for you, period. So now what do you want to do? What do you want to explore? And the being the parent is an amazing opportunity to provide guidance, but it's not to intimidate or control. You can have love or control in adult relationships, especially when it starts to become your adult child. And at that point, the control is what do I think that they need to do? It's a me thing. I can still think what I wish they would do, what I think based off of my information of what it feels like to be me, what I think they might be good at. But let me go in and start talking to them and ask them questions and be curious about that. Because the that again, that act lens, you're accepting those feelings of inadequacy or fear of your child's future, but you recognize those are thoughts and feelings. Those are not dictates of your worth or your child's potential. And because when we're talking about parenting, all of its ups and downs, it's in essence an art form itself. And it benefits so much from principles like nurtured heart approach or acceptance and commitment therapy. Because by focusing on the positive and accepting the very present moment, then we can guide, we can influence, guide our children and ourselves through the chaos that is going to happen. And there is nothing better to navigate that chaos with than, than grace with humor, with a tremendous amount of heart, and with accepting the fact that this, my feelings, my emotions, those are me things. So the next time that you're feeling this sense of overwhelm, it's not about getting rid of that feeling of overwhelm. It's not about extinguishing the flames, but learning to make a, a mean barbecue with them. And that brings up, I mentioned in the intro, the first and second dart reactions, because I think this is really a, a really deep concept that I love. It's a concept from the world of, of Buddhism, but it just has these amazing insights that I think play into the parenting journey, especially when we're talking about things like frustration and anger, which are the things that may come to us when we see that our kid is not doing the things that we think that they are supposed to do. 
the saying is that uh, there are two darts. Now, the first dart is the initial pain or discomfort that life throws our way. So these are unavoidable. They're part of the human experience. So in the context of parenting, that first dart might be your child's challenging behavior, such as not doing their homework, not doing the dishes. I could do an entire episode on the dishes. If you really want the dishes to be done, get a dishwasher or do the dishes. If you want to connect with your kid, and that is a chore that you would like for them to do, then nurtured heart the heck out of it. And if anything, if they are behind, if they are overwhelmed, and you're the one that is recognizing it, um, offer to do the dishes and say, hey, can I do those for you? Or do you want to join me? But use it as an opportunity to connect. That, that's a, a side note. But, but your child is going to refuse to do things like homework dishes. They are going to write with permanent marker, a masterpiece on the living room wall. These moments are inevitable. And they are often completely out of our direct control. We will beat ourselves up and think, why didn't I warn them? But you're not, you're not going to think of everything ahead of time. And if you are, that's just your anxiety speaking. And now your kid is going to feel like, geez, I can't do anything. If it's like, hey, make sure you never take Sharpies and color on the wall, okay? First of all, if they were never even thinking about it, then all of a sudden it's like, I didn't even know, I didn't think about that. Sharpie, wall, okay. Well, I know that uh, now if I get really upset, this is why I say that kids, by definition, are a little narcissist um, because then you just handed them buttons to push. If they get angry, they're like, where are those Sharpies? But that's the first dart. The second dart is the one that we throw at ourselves. Those are the, the internal reactions. Those like anger, frustration that we layer on top of the initial event. So unlike the first dart, here's the key. The second dart is within our control. It is the story that we tell ourselves about what happened. And it is so often loaded with judgment. This is where we've made an observation of what's happened. And then we made a judgment. We, we blame, we self-criticize. So for parents, this might go, we might immediately go to this, I'm a bad parent, I can't handle my own kid, what are other, other people going to think? So let, let's normalize that. First and foremost, I think it is absolutely essential to know this is part of the human experience, that you are going to have reactions, your kids are going to do kid things, uh, life is just going to life all over you, and feeling anger or frustration in response to challenging parenting moments is human, it's utterly human. So the emotions themselves, those are not the problem. Those, those come up and we'll talk maybe in a future episode where when you start to allow those emotions to, to exist and not react to them, they're teaching you a valuable lesson. I promise you they are because they will bring up things about, man, I, I'm really frustrated that my kid did that. Why? Well, because when I did that as a kid, I was chastised and now I feel like I want to, but that goes against my very nature. Thank you, feelings. I'm going to not react to you and I'm going to try to tune into you. So those emotions themselves, again, not the problem. It's how we respond to them. That will lead to further suffering because that's the stuff where we, then we feel really bad and we're going to go apologize later and, and beat ourselves up about just the human experience. So those emotions, uh, how we respond, that can promote further suffering. Or conversely, it can also lead to growth and understanding. That second dart is not a sign of failure but it's a common human response to stress and challenges. And when you can look at it that way, first of all, you can start to recognize before you react. And you maybe have that second dart in your hand, you're about to throw it at your own foot, and, you're, and you think, wait a minute. All right, let's just take a pause. Let's slow, slow my roll here a little bit. So we've acknowledged that the first dart involves recognizing the, the challenging situation for what it is. It is part of the parenting journey, part of the human experience. So it's about seeing that behavior itself or that event without immediately layering on it our internal reactions. Yes, mindfulness would be nice to build in that pause, to be able to notice that I'm noticing this, these feelings or thoughts or I'm, I'm wanting to react. 
This is where ACT shines because it starts to teach you how to accept those moments without judgment and embrace our experiences in the present moment, absolutely fully in that moment. Now, the key to dealing with that second DARP is in our response. So instead of automatically reacting with self-criticism or outwards expressions of frustration, which is that throwing of the second dart. Oh, it's what's wrong with me? I can't believe my kids do this. I'm such a bad dad. What are people going to think? We get to pause. It's so nice. As I'm even saying this, I just stood up very square at my shoulders in my chair. We're ready to be mindful. Where's my ponytail? Where's my yoga mat? We can choose to respond differently. This is where the principles of the nurtured heart approach are incredibly effective. Because by refusing to energize the negative behaviors, and emotions with our reactions, not throwing that second dart. We focus instead on the positive, channeling our energy toward recognizing and nurturing success. And no matter how small the thing is that we notice that we can point out, because it's the opposite of the responding with negativity. So let's go back to those scenarios with the first and second darts in mind. So this, this living room mural. So the first dart, straight up the shock and the potential frustration of seeing the mural. And recognizing that, uh, I don't know if these magic erasers work. Now I'm going to have to paint. Um, do I have to paint all kinds of things? I don't have time to. So that first dart, frustration of seeing the mural. The second dart then would be berating yourself for being a bad parent or getting overly angry at your kid. This is that part where uh, we talked about this over the weekend with one of my kids about the spills, the spills in our homes. We were so intentional about if a kid spilled, it was our opportunity to be more present, to, to all of us jump and pitch in, to, to laugh, to even to the point where I almost wondered at times would our kids try to spill because they got such wonderful feedback from it. But, but that, was, that was an opportunity to grow. So not getting angry with your kid is it's something that you can work on. This living room mural, it may sound crazy, but acknowledge that creativity behind the act. That's the first start. And then decide to guide that intensity into more appropriate outlets, avoiding the second dart. It literally is, let's get you a canvas, champ. Let's, man, you know what? Uh, let's, let's get a big old easel and, and butcher paper or whatever that looks like. So that is avoiding that second dart while managing your internal dialogue with kindness and understanding. If we go to the homework example, the first dart is the immediate challenge of refusal to do the homework. The second dart comes when you start to spiral into worry about your kid's future or critique your effectiveness as a parent. I should have spent more time doing homework with them, but it is math. Still not a big fan of math. So here you start to recognize the refusal. You, you accept your feelings about it. And then without adding self-criticism, you look for a positive moment to highlight, such as their effort to sit down with their books, um, just even their, their ability to start to prepare. So understanding and applying these first and second dark concepts in parenting is not about eliminating challenges or, or getting rid of the negative feelings. It is acknowledging those moments with absolute compassion and then taking action, choosing a response that aligns with your values. If you have a value of connection or compassion or um, love or kindness or curiosity or adventure, then that's your opportunity to then act in accordance with your own values. And, and then by using these nurturing principles of ACT, and nurtured heart approach, you're not only modeling emotional resilience for your kids, but you're also showing emotional consistency. You're showing uh, emotional safety. You're starting to cultivate a more supportive and positive family environment. So the next time you are struck by that first dart, remember that second dart's optional. You might even have it in your hand ready to throw it back at yourself, but you're good. And, and that's okay. I want to talk real briefly and then we'll wrap things up about um, rumination, about the future telling and, and worrying about the past. Because I just, this is the brain's just adorable tendency, the past and the future. Our brains are these 
absolutely incredible machines and they are designed to protect us and learn from our experiences and anticipate future challenges. And while well-intentioned, this can lead us off the path. The brain has this natural tendency to ruminate over the past and then worry a, a lot about the future. And it might seem like a strategy that is trying to help us align ourselves with right now and prepare for what's to come, but it's, it's based off of a false premise. Ruminating on the past, it feels like this endless loop sometimes of replaying events and analyzing what went wrong or wishing things had gone differently and versus acceptance. Yeah, those things happen because the past already happened and no amount of mental replay is going to change it. You can gain a little bit of something from the past, but if we're trying to continually figure out why something happened, the reality is because it did. Because that was the first time ever you in that moment and check it out. That's how you responded or reacted. When you can look at it with that type of curiosity, now we can move forward. But rumination itself is like spending all these emotional calories on a treadmill that doesn't go anywhere. It just uses up your mental energy without moving you forward and you really don't get anything for it. There's no benefit. And in the same vein, worrying about your future, that involves expending a ton of emotional energy on scenarios that have not happened and most likely won't occur. The future is inherently uncertain, and we don't like uncertainty. So we can prepare, absolutely, and plan, and those are valuable things. But excessive worry, it doesn't prevent unwanted outcomes. Instead, it actually detracts you from your ability to enjoy the very present moment and then to be able to take meaningful action in the here and now. And not to sound too goofy, but the present moment is the only reality we have direct control over. It's right now. I'm experiencing it as you are when you're listening to this. It is where life happens and where we have the power uh, to, to influence our future. By focusing on the present, then we are engaging with our lives as they are, not as the fear that they might become or the regret that they weren't. And this doesn't mean ignoring the past or the future again, but it's rather we are acknowledging them without letting them dictate our emotional state. The past, it, it is unchangeable, except for somebody, if they figure out a time machine, then, then we got some problems. I'm going to have to go and edit a whole lot of content. But while it's unchangeable, it does, it offers lessons. But when you can learn and catch yourself ruminating, then you can just look at those past experiences as they are sources of wisdom. That's what they are, learning from them to inform our present action. By doing so, we reframe the past. It's a resource. It's not a burden. It's not a, wow, I blew it or what's wrong with me. It happened. As for the future, it is shaped by the decisions and actions right now. Worrying about what might happen, it does literally take away from our ability to make positive changes today in the here and now. So by focusing on the very present moment, we start laying groundwork. I think this is what's important. We're laying groundwork for a future that aligns more closely with our desires and values. If we're just worrying about the future, we're missing an opportunity to actually guide our lives in a way that will impact the future in a way that, that we will actually be happy about when we get there. So live in the present moment. That is, it is such an empowering stance. And I, if I, if Five, seven, ten years ago, me listened to this episode, I would think, wow, Tony kind of lost it there for a while. But instead, it is an amazing place to live, just being and doing, living in the present moment. It allows you to take meaningful action. You reduce the drain of emotional energy on unproductive thoughts and enjoy the, the, the richness in life as it unfolds. Every present moment becomes this opportunity to reframe our past and then actively shape the future. And it doesn't just help you manage your thoughts and emotions more effectively. It's enhancing your well-being and it leads to a more, more contented life. So that journey toward a more fulfilled and mindful existence starts with recognizing that the limitations, I really believe, of dwelling on the past or worrying about the future. 
just focus the energy on the present moment. I think that I'm now starting to sound like I'm on repeat, but it is an amazing concept. Let me talk about certainty real quick. Our brains also desire and seek certainty and, and they want to avoid discomfort. When I think this is one of those, you really start to uh, frame most concepts around what are we trying to do to get rid of our discomfort? And boy, we are seeking to know, I need to know, I want certainty. And, and this, this primal instinct is, it's, it makes sense. It's rooted in survival. Our ancestors needed to predict and avoid danger to stay alive. But in modern times, this manifests as a, more of a desire to make sense of the past because we feel like if I can make sense of it, then I can maybe control the future because I don't want to think that the, the future is, just has a potential to just happen randomly because that will help us hopefully navigate the future with minimal discomfort. In other words, though, I'm saying let's, let's embrace and accept that discomfort because it's going to teach us something. I guarantee you. So that rumination, future telling, those are strategies, adorable strategies the brain is employing in its quest for certainty. Oh, if we can decode these past events, then the brain hopes I can figure out a formula to prevent future pain, disappointment, failure. And by trying to predict the future, it aims to prepare for and control potential outcomes. It's like the, that's where it's getting nerdy computer is what's up in your head, minimizing discomfort and, and trying to ensure certainty. That whole approach of getting rid of discomfort, honest to goodness, it, it is a false premise. Uh, our brain wants to get rid of it. The belief that understanding the past, predicting the future shields us from discomfort, it's misleading. Because life by nature, it's uncertain. And it is full of unexpected turns. How fun is that? No, no amount of rumination or future telling is going to change that reality. But instead, those mental habits, they consume your energy and focus. They keep you stuck in cycles of worry, regret that keep you away from right now. So the key to breaking free from the cycles is to embrace uncertainty, accept that it's happening. What is happening is happening right now. Acceptance, again, does not mean approval or resignation, but it is recognizing and acknowledging our current reality without judgment. This shift, it allows you to unhook from unproductive thoughts and you focus on what you can make, do something about the, what you can, we'll, we'll call it control, but it's the good kind. What we can control are our actions and reactions in the present moment. So when you learn to embrace uncertainty, that involves acknowledging that we can't predict or control everything in our lives. And that slowly but surely allows you to start to find peace in the unknown. It really is. What is going to happen is going to happen. Let's do it. We're going to learn. We start to have faith in, in ourselves. This is part of what builds confidence. You're starting to trust your own ability to handle challenges as they come. And this stance, it fosters flexibility and resilience and openness to experience all kinds of things, qualities that enhance our whole capacity to live fully and authentically. And when you unhook from that need to ruminate and predict, you open yourselves up to everything that's in the present moment, relationships, experiences. This is where life happens and it's where genuine connections are made. In that present moment then, now I hope you can see where we put all this together. Now we can engage deeply with our kids, connect with our spouse, rediscover our own needs and desires because we've freed ourselves up from all these mental gymnastics and, and just uh, trying to control and figure everything out. So those moments of connection, these tend to be the building blocks of meaningful relationships but more importantly, your own personal growth. Being present allows you to respond to your loved ones with empathy, with understanding, with curiosity, rather than being preoccupied with your own worries, projections, task lists, your phones. And it, it enables you to start to appreciate the beauty and all the everyday experiences. Embrace the joy, the, the challenges of parenting, partnership, personal evolution. So wrapping things up, what do we learn today? The brain's craving for certainty and its efforts to avoid discomfort through ruminating, future telling, they're adorable. They're understandable, but ultimately they are misguided strategies. So as we learn to embrace uncertainty, we accept our experiences, they're happening. 
then we can start to un- unhook from these counterproductive thoughts or we start to immerse ourselves in the very present moment. And the shift not only conserves emotional calories and energy, but it, it enriches your life because it gives you more energy to be in the here and the now, just doing and being. And then you you connect deeply with yourself. You start to learn, oh, I, got, I have feelings. I have emotions. They're there for a reason. What are the things I enjoy in life? And that helps you just embrace the heck out of this present moment. And, and you're going to start to learn to grow and, and just grow closer to the people that you really care about. I had a couple of takeaways today, but I feel like they're really just going over the same things. I'll, I'll share a very brief moment of them. What have we learned again? It's embracing the present, empowering the future. So we talked about ACT. We talked about the Nurtured Heart Approach. We hit first and second darts. And, the, and really the big takeaway today is that present moment. That's where we have the most influence, not just over our own state of mind, but the shaping of the environment around us, including the development, the, the care and feeding and well-being of our kids. And that does play into your own overall uh, raising of your emotional baseline, helping you feel like you're doing the best you can. And then it really does give you the sense of purpose that is just a, it's an overwhelming feeling to just feel like so connected to yourself, to your kids, to your spouse, to the world that you're living in. And still negative things will happen. But over time, you will start to to just know and trust your own inherent goodness and your ability to navigate the world of uncertainty, even with the discomfort. And I just want to say this as well as a parent, and I don't know, I'm making it more of a dad thing because that's all I know as being a dad person. But this emotional consistency, this concept of becoming more emotionally consistent is at some point when that really kicks in, it's so empowering. And I think it leads to, to more emotional safety for everybody in your family which is something I, there's the one thing that I have to notice that I want to beat myself up on is that that's something that I wish I could have known in the past, but I didn't check that out. Acceptance. I'm right here. I'm right now. Have an amazing week. If you have questions, thoughts, please send them in. Contact or info at tonyoverbay.com. Taking us out per usual, the wonderful, the talented Aurora Florence with her song, It's Wonderful, because if you cannot tell, it, it really is. We'll see you next time on The Virtual Couch. flying past our heads and out the other end the pressures of the daily grind it's wonderful elastic waste and rubber ghost i'm floating past the midnight hour they push aside the things that matter most it's
You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply.